The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to it, Employment Law Show. We are ready to go. John Pincus is your guy, all part of said Firu Tamark and LLP, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the country. So let's get this happening. I'm going to just give you some contact uh, right off the hop here during the show. The email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you want to reach out to John or Leo, remember the team outside of the show. You can simply go to one 821 5900 Want to get to our first call here in just a moment. Uh, John, good morning, pal. First, tell us uh, what's happening on your end, and then we'll uh, get right to the phones. How are you, pal? Yeah, I'm good. Sounds good. And uh, glad to hear that uh, people are calling in, and uh, we can discuss mm-hmm. if any of these situations I'm about to talk about are familiar to you or to anyone you know. We're here to, to chat about it and, and talk about any employment law issues you're having. So the first situation I wanted to talk about today was someone who came to me uh, wanting to ask about her record of employment. Uh, She'd been employed as a receptionist for 25 years and was worried about applying for employment insurance. And she was worried because the company had put code M for dismissal on her uh, record of employment, and she thought that would be disqualifying uh, when it came time to apply for employment insurance. Now, that wasn't easy enough to deal with because the simple answer to that is just because your employer puts code M for dismissal, uh, that does not mean that they're taking a position at the dismissal for cause. So she was able right. to apply for employment insurance, and quite frankly, even in the very unlikely scenario that they had put her uh, dismissal for cause, she stood. She still uh, should have uh, should apply for employment insurance. Very important thing for people to know. Uh, but then I asked her, well, just out of curiosity, how much severance were you paid after 25 years? And she said, well, I, you know, I was really disappointed because they only gave me eight weeks pay. But they said this was all I was entitled to because they're a, a small company and their payroll was under $2.5 million. And I went on the internet and I looked it up and I found out they were right. Um, and to add insult to injury, uh, this person was replaced uh, by someone half her age immediately after she was let go. So there was clearly something we needed to talk about here. Uh, First of all, the notion that a company does not have to pay more than eight weeks' pay if they're a small company is just wrong, completely categorically wrong. That is just the minimum entitlement under the Employment Standards Act, and the websites that she was evidently going to were the websites dealing with minimum entitlements, such as the Ministry of Labor website, and that is not the end of the story here. So when we're looking at the full entitlements, I assess this person's entitlements at anywhere between 18 to 20 months of her pay, 16 to 18 months more than she'd been given. So you know, this eight weeks pay was only a tiny fraction of her entitlements. And the other thing here is that by replacing her with someone half her age, there was a serious prospect of ageism uh, going on here potentially, and that would lead to human rights damages. So we're going to be negotiating this for her, and I expect we're going to be talking about a significant, significant improvement to her severance package. Jim, you were on the line waiting before we even started the show. You were the type of guy that never has to get in line for snow tires, I'm betting. You're all over that sucker early. How are you, pal? That's, that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing okay. Thanks for, <laughs> for taking my call. Um, you bet. Yeah, so anyways, um, I've been with my company for 16 years, and um, in the fall, my company was bought by a U.S. company. Yesterday, I received a letter, an offer of employment from them, the company that bought us. So my pay is the same, and I think my vacation is the same as well. The offer does set out a number of conditions, including limiting my severance if I'm terminated. 
and they set, I think, to the ESA standards up to a maximum of 12 weeks, it's not clear if they're going to honor my service time. So it also has provisions saying that I can't say anything negative about the company, even if I am terminated. What options do I have? In the letter, it says if I don't sign, my employment is terminated, and my deadline to sign it is it's Wednesday, February 5th. Would I also mm-hmm. be eligible for severance? Right. Well, that, that's an excellent question, Jim. And this is a very, very difficult scenario that I, I deal with um, quite often. Uh, because when you are put in the position where uh, your company's being sold, presuming that it's an asset purchase, effectively what's happened is your employment with your original company has been terminated, and the employment with the new company um, is, um, uh, is is effectively um, uh, you know, a new offer of employment. So basically the situation that you're in, and the way that you have to think about this is – by virtue of the asset sale, you've, you've effectively lost your job. Like you've lost your job with the old company. And now you're being given an opportunity to make up the losses uh, by working for this new company. So the first thing we have to look is whether it's comparable. And it sounds like based on your description that this new job probably is comparable, at least from a compensation standpoint. Um, so uh, that's the first thing. Now, the second thing is um, – if it is comparable, is this a job that you're interested in doing? Are they going to recognize your past service? Well, that's something that you would definitely want to try to negotiate with them to see, look, just to be clear, I want to make sure that if I'm let go, you're going to recognize uh, my past service. Um, if they're not going to do that, um, then you may want to um, think about whether this is a job that um, you want to uh, want to consider because if they're going to limit your severance entitlements and they're going to um, deny your past service, um, there is a question, okay, is that really comparable? Now, before you make any decisions, I would strongly, strongly recommend that you give us a call, contact us so we can discuss it because I actually want to see this employment contract because often there's more um, devils in the details here. Uh, but effectively, if you start working for this new company and um, let's say you work there about six months and it doesn't work out um, and they decide, you know what, we just we just don't really have a place for you here or you don't quite have the skill set that we were looking for. Well, now you can actually pursue the old company, the one that was bought out for your uh, for your severance. Uh, so there there isn't a you know, there, there's no no time where the law is going to leave you completely high and dry. As long as you think of this as a situation where you've lost your job, you're now by taking this new job effectively what we call mitigating your losses. Um, and uh, you just want to make sure that it's a job that you're actually interested in taking. So what I would recommend that you do, Jim, is send us a copy of that employment agreement. Uh, you can email it to us after the show and let's talk about it. Let's look at it line by line and see, um, first of all, is there are there more things that we need to worry about? And secondly, uh, perhaps um, you know, can we negotiate something uh, that's going to protect your years of service and ideally protect your severance entitlements? Okay, that's great. I appreciate uh, the advice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Jim. And here is the uh, here's the reach out for you. The email address that John just mentioned: help at employmentlawyer.ca. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And a follow up phone call be a good idea as well. One eight five five eight two one 5,900. Frank, thank you for standing by. I'm raising a, a hypothetical scenario. Say someone is suing for wrongful dismissal, and subsequent to the claim being served, uh, issues of settlement come up. Do you know of any creative ways of trying to structure a settlement in such a way where the uh, 
the person affected who's going to get the settlement, it, it reduces the amount of taxes payable. If, if there's any creative way of setting out a settlement in such a way uh, for those benefits. Well, uh, there there are scenarios where um, settlement funds, or or in the case of someone something that's gone to court, damages uh, can be paid uh, without tax. And basically, um, the prerequisite for that is there has to be a genuine issue aside from the wrongful dismissal. Right. So if there has been some issue of bad faith or um, um, or, or behavior that is really separate and apart from the termination that is uh, arguably warranting of damages, um, then there's a basis um, to uh, and, and to do so in accordance with the Income Tax Act to have part of the settlement as uh, non-taxable. Now you you have to do it in a reasonable way. You can't uh, you can't always just say, well, you know, we're all we're going to make the whole thing non-taxable because we're going to assign all of this to this part of the dispute. But if there is a human rights issue, for example, and there's going to be damages for loss of self-dignity, loss of self-respect. Um, or there is um, moral damages or punitive damages. These amounts are separate and apart from the severance, so that when you're paid those wages, uh, those amounts that those amounts are um, not on account of, um, uh, of of wages, not on account of severance, but on account of something separate. So that's really the only way um, to do that, and you really need the right case and you the right fact scenario um, to have that present. But um, I see those fact scenarios from time to time, and um, those arrangements um, are, are often feasible as a result. I, I really appreciate that feedback. You've been very insightful and helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Frank. If you want to reach out, uh, you want to reach out afterwards. That would be uh, no problem. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Let's take a, a short break. We'll get back to our topic of the day: an employment law show. Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thanks for joining us. Help at employmentlawyer.ca if you want to reach out by email. If you have any other questions, you can... You can bring them on. We'd love to talk to you. John Pink is here covering the uh, the show this morning. And to reach out to John when we're done, one 821 5900 And you always have the option, even before you make that phone call, to go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Tons of information there, absolutely free and anonymous. And you can also contact from the, uh, the website as well. Okay, John, before we get into the reasons why people accept bad severance packages, it's a lengthy list. Hopefully we give everybody the heads up on this one. Uh, you had another matter we wanted to, uh, to discuss briefly before we get into that. What's uh, What else is going on, pal? Yes, yes. Thanks, John. Absolutely. I, I definitely want to get into the second situation uh, because it is an interesting one. Um. So the second situation um, that I was that I wanted to talk about this week uh, involves a long service employee, um, fairly long service. Uh, this time, a manager. Uh, she was there about 15 years, and her employer decided that they were going to let her go and give her working notice of termination. And so they said, "We're going to give you 18 months working notice of oh. termination." So at first blush, this seemed to be fairly legitimate. Employers are certainly entitled to give working notice of termination instead of paying it out as a lump sum. It happens less frequently, but it's a perfectly legitimate thing for an employer to do. Uh, But then she told me the conditions she was going to be working in during the working notice period, and here's where we started to have a bit of a problem. Well, for one thing, her commission plan, which made up a huge portion of her income, 
was being taken away completely. <laughs> she was no longer going to be a manager, but she was going to be a salesperson, and she was going to be reporting to her subordinate. And most of her managerial duties uh, were going to go to her subordinate. And what she told me is, this is this is completely humiliating. And, you know, given that they've taken away all my commissions, quite frankly, I'm better off spending this time looking for a job that's more comparable to the one they just took away. And, of course, she's absolutely right. An employer can give you working notice, but they have to maintain the terms and conditions of your employment. Now, perhaps minor changes, spending some time to train your replacement, maybe even minor changes to your benefits or compensation, those an employer may be able to get away with. But changes like this certainly tantamount to what we call a fundamental breach and a candidate for constructive dismissal. So if you find yourself in this situation, whether it's in the, you know, in the unique context that I just described or just a situation where there's been a change um, at, at your job and you feel that this like this is a major change, a demotion, a change in your pay. Uh, please, now don't take any action before speaking with us, but do speak with us and make sure you do so as soon as possible. Now, if you act too quickly, if you jump the gun, it could be a resignation. But if you don't take any action and you wait too long, you could be deemed to have accepted those changes. So it's a, it's a tricky situation uh, to be in, and you really need an employment lawyer to help you navigate it. David, excellent. I have had the same full-time job for 11 years. Uh, I want to reduce my hours with my doctor's support due to a medical condition. I would like to request a three-day work week rather than a five-day work week due to the medical condition. Can an employer say, we cannot accommodate that arrangement, we will terminate you? Uh, uh, David, just out of curiosity, what, what kind of job do you have? It's a sit-down desk job at a reception area in a condominium building. I see. Okay, well, this this brings up the concept of what we call undue hardship, David. And so what you first have to do is you have to get a note uh, from your doctor explaining, ideally with some level of detail, the kind of accommodation that you need. Um, they don't have to go into detail about your diagnosis, but um, you know it would be good to, to, for the doctor to know whether the nature of your condition is psychological or physiological or whatnot. Um, and say, look, as a result of this, um, David can only work a three-day work week. Um, and then that's going to trigger what's called the duty to accommodate of your employer. Now, your employer then has to look at these requests from your doctor and the sign note from your doctor. They're entitled to um, ask for more information from you from the doctor. So you can either give them permission to speak with your doctor or they can give you uh, a form for your doctor to fill out. Um, and the employer then has the obligation to determine whether this is a an accommodation that they can provide. And in terms of the threshold uh, in, of undue hardship, right? So if they're saying this is something we cannot provide, they're saying this is an undue hardship for us to provide. And that is a very high standard. They have to show that it was either impossible or that it's possible, but it affects the viability of the business in, in a pretty significant way that, you know, so the example that I always like to use is if you go to your employer and you say, hey, you know, I've got this back issue and um, I need a new chair, um, then arguably your employer has to provide that. Um, whereas if you go and you say, I need my entire office to be retrofitted uh, for this uh, condition I have, that could be undue hardship. So I think rather than 
you know, worrying about whether your employer is going to do this um, or not, I would start with your physician, David. Um, have a have a meeting with them. Either uh, you know, if you have like, if you can do like a Zoom meeting or a phone meeting and talk about the reasons why you want this modified work. We can have your doctor write, ideally, you know, a somewhat detailed note. Send it to your employer. Um, and say, look, if you need more information, just let me know. And as long as you're cooperating and doing your part, um, then if you then if you have any issues, you're you're certainly going to be uh, you're you're going to have the right start. So I would do that. And if your employer is giving you grief about it, give us a call and let's talk about it. Yeah, the only hardship the employer would have would be to hire an, another part-time person to work the other two days. Right. Right. And and it's not clear to me that that would be an undue hardship for them to do that. Um, you know, reduced work weeks. Now, the other thing, um, you know, that, that may be uh, relevant here is I, I gather this is a permanent change you're seeking, correct? Yeah. Yes. Until I retire. Right. Right, right. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say that this is definitely an accommodation that you're entitled to. But if your employer is saying they can't do it, they're going to have to explain why. So again, we you know we could speculate as to all the reasons they could possibly say that they're not going to be able to do it. But this doesn't strike me as a situation um, where it's you know where it's obvious that it would be undue hardship. So start with the doctor's note. Give it to your employer, and if your employer says no, we can't do that, ask them why. And once you have that reason, give us a call, and we'll we'll help you determine whether that's something you're you're entitled to challenge. David, really appreciate your time and the uh, and the phone call. Follow up, indeed. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred would be the number, David, and the uh, email address to get a hold of John and the crew. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Reasons why people accept bad severance packages. It's a lengthy list, but you've uh, you've trimmed it down nicely, John. So let's get right into this one for the uh, the the most important ones anyway, and the ones that are probably most relatable to the uh, the listeners. Number one is this: they don't realize they're entitled to more. That's for sure the number one reason. Yeah, that that is definitely a, a big one, John. And if you think about the first example we talked about at the top of the hour here, where you had someone who, after 25 years, was paid only eight weeks' pay. Yeah. And if you go on the internet, you know, depending what website you go to, um, you may not realize that you're entitled to more. You know, hopefully. Uh, People are going to the pocket employment lawyer uh, or the severance pay calculator and, you know, putting in their information and seeing that, you know, this is the sort of neighborhood of entitlements that you're going to have here. But if you don't do that and you just search, you know, severance or termination pay in Ontario, you may end up getting to a website that's just giving you uh, very incomplete uh, information. Um, You know, and many employers um, pay very minimal severance, not because they don't they you know they're they're trying to do something nefarious but they may not know either they may have gone to the exact same websites that you have and said oh okay you know we've got to let go mary mary's been here for 25 years but oh you know what our payroll's less than two and a half million dollars so we don't have to pay more than this or uh, our payroll's over two and a half million dollars she's been here for 25 years but this says the maximum amount we have to pay her is 34 weeks so that's all we're going to pay her right so it, it may not be that your employer is um uh, you know, doing this to to deliberately uh, be cheap, uh, they, they they may just not know better. So um, speak with us, and uh, certainly if you speak with an employment lawyer, that will help uh, set the uh, the record straight and get you your actual entitlement. Reasons why people accept bad severance packages and uh, don't do it. At least make the phone call to John first uh, before you sign anything for sure. 
And this goes back to what we're talking about all the time. They rely on the Ministry of Labor because it's the Ministry of Labor. My job, that's where I should be going for this, but that is not not true. Right, right. And and this dovetails nicely with, with what we were just talking about because, yep. you know, often the reason why people don't know they're entitled to more is because they've gone to the Ministry of Labor. And the Ministry of Labor has a very specific mandate. They are there... Um, when it comes to employment standards, they're there to administer the Employment Standards Act. Mm-hmm. That's all they're actually allowed to do. They're not allowed to talk to you about your full severance entitlements. And if you ask them about your full severance entitlements, they will direct you to speak to a lawyer. Your full severance entitlements are not governed by the Employment Standards Act. They can only be properly assessed by an employment lawyer. That means the Ministry of Labor does not have the answer here. And the example I always use is that if you know you're someone who's worked somewhere for 20 years, you could be told by the Ministry of Labor that yeah, you're only entitled to eight weeks' pay. Your company's payroll's not not very high, uh, but that's the minimum entitlement. And depending on that situation, if this person goes on the severance pay calculator or the pocket employment lawyer, they may find that they're actually entitled to two years' pay. Right. So if you think of someone earning seventy thousand dollars a year, this means that person is throwing away almost a hundred and thirty thousand dollars all because they went to the wrong place and if they've waited two years to do anything about it uh, that uh, entitlement is gone because two years is the limitation period and it starts running from the date of the notice of termination so don't wait um, and don't make any assumptions don't speak to your neighbor when it comes time to severance you always always have to speak to an employment lawyer not the ministry of labor and it gets worse. I mean, if you file a claim with the Ministry of Labor, unless you pull that back really quickly, then you are barred from talking to a lawyer outside of that, right? You've kind of you kind of put the nail in your own coffin. Yeah, I mean, it depends how far uh, you have gone along with that. Um, there's technically a two-week withdrawal period that you can do that. If you've passed the two-week withdrawal period and you've started at the Ministry of Labor, still give us a call. I have had situations where I have been able to pull the Ministry of Labor complaint if it's still in the early stages, even if it's well beyond the two-week period. It's just, but if you've gone too far in that process, there may be no turning back. Um, so you really, really do need to be careful. Um, you shouldn't be filing a legal proceeding on your own for severance. You really do need a lawyer to help you navigate that. We'll get this one in before the break. Uh, reasons why people accept bad severance packages. Oh, they're worried about upsetting their employer, the one that's letting them go. <laughs> Yeah, I always find this one kind of strange. I mean, shouldn't the employer be worried about upsetting you? They've just right. taken away your livelihood. But, yeah, right. you know, I, I, and I don't mean to be flippant about it. Of course, it's it's a totally understandable anxiety. Yep. Um, you think about starting a, a lawsuit against this this. Uh, person you've known for so long, but it's actually a, a misplaced fear. It's an understandable fear, but it's a misplaced fear because severance negotiations are typically not acrimonious at all. They are business negotiations. And and, and that is the approach uh, when I, for example, uh, are negotiating a severance package that is really just about the severance package is to set a positive tone because, of course, we're not out to hurt an employer. We're there to get an appropriate severance package that's owed to you under the law and to come up with whatever kind of arrangement that everyone can live with, and that's going to be fair, uh, and is going to be, uh, you know, at least approaching your entitlement under the law. So, you know, I can understand also if you worked in a small shop with three to four people, maybe you're extremely close with the owner. Maybe you don't want to get anyone else involved. 
fair enough. But you know, you really have to think about this. This is your future. This is how you're going to pay your bills. This is how you're going to bridge yourself over to your next job. And in a pandemic environment, you really have to look out for yourself and your family. So it's you know, it's only fair to you to speak with us so we can at least uh, or an employment lawyer so that you can talk about what your options are. And you want to do that, by the way, one 821 5900 to reach John and the rest of his team at the firm. You can email help at employmentlawyer.ca, which if we have time, we'll get to some email this morning. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. The Employment Law shows our pal John Pincus doing all the heavy lifting. If you have questions about your employment rights, of course, this is a show for you. As you know, you've been terminated or laid off, wrongfully dismissed, harassed at work, experience changes to your job, human rights issues, doesn't matter, bring it on. Uh, Clinton, thanks for standing by. Thank you very much for taking my call. You bet. All right, so uh, my daughter uh, took layoff about uh, a month ago from her work. She was off of that. Um, and now, and then, of course, it was also extended a little bit because the kids were at, were at home. So she has a daughter she was taking care of. They're going back to school on Monday. She issued an email um, to her employer stating she was coming back on Monday for her regular shift, which was uh, 12 till 9. Um, he replied back with he only has part-time for her right now, 8 to 8 a.m. to 12, which is... It uh, doesn't help because she's got a child um, to get off to school in the morning. So I just wanted to know what rights does she have? What does she have any rights, et cetera, et cetera? Please. Right. Okay. This is this is a very very common situation. Um, so thank you, Clinton, for the call. Um, the I, I think the critical thing here is going to be whether this change is going to be temporary or permanent. If um, her employer is telling her. Look, we only have part-time for you for 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Uh, just for the time being due to the lockdown or due to certain restrictions uh, placed on us by the government. I think that's something that's, that is uh, certainly within the employer's rights under the Employment Standards Act, and, and arguably um, it's, it's an employer's right under contract as well, if it is temporary and just to respond to the, the immediate environment, in which case um, I think that if she's um, – uh, if she is uh, obligated, if that's a problem for her in terms of her child care, uh, then she can say, okay, well, in that case, you know, I need an infectious disease emergency leave or I need, you know, a, a, a family care leave or something something along those lines and, and work with the employer to extend that period of time, which I know is not ideal, but I think is probably the best course of action. If the employer, on the other hand, and, and she should confirm this with them, is saying, no, 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 this is, this is not just for the time being. This is, look, I'm, I'm looking, I'm taking the long view, and this is all I'm going to be able to give you from now on. Well, then that is arguably a, a, a serious breach of contract and uh, a constructive dismissal because the employer certainly has not uh, been given the right to effect that change on a permanent basis. So that's the critical piece of information that she needs to get from them. Um, and uh, at that point, if it is a permanent change, that's when she'd want to give us a call and have us intervene to um, uh, to either uh, negotiate a return back to work, negotiate a, you know something to, to fix these conditions, or potentially to negotiate a, a severance package. Um, so the first thing for her to do again is is to get in touch with them and find out uh, you know how long this change is, is supposed to be for, and she can plan her next move then. Okay, that's excellent. Thank you very much. You're welcome. 
Thanks, Clinton. Really appreciate you reaching out this morning. Hope that answered uh, all of your questions to get a hold of John at uh, we're done here or whenever we're uh, at your convenience. It's one 855 821 help at just to give that out again. Talking about reasons why people accept bad severance packages. Oh, there's that deadline in the termination later, you know, Friday at 5 or you got one week or two weeks. So sign that sucker and get it back to us, right? There's another reason why. Right, and I, I end up probably talking about this three to four times at least every week, and I always tell my clients the same thing. I say, here's the thing about that deadline. Every termination letter has it, and I can tell you this because I've written termination letters, and I've never written a termination letter without a deadline. And the reason why I've never written a termination letter without a deadline because I've never had an employer or a client who's just wanted – this to uh, be in limbo forever. And your, your employer is just like you. They want closure. They don't want this thing to, to last uh, forever. Um, they really do want you to sign that release. And so that's why they put that deadline in so that this doesn't just go on and on and on. Meanwhile, um, their liability is increasing and they have this outstanding liability. Um, so you have to remember that the severance package that's being offered to you it's probably not being offered to you because your employer is just being benevolent. Maybe it is. Maybe you're being offered a really generous severance package, but you won't know that until you speak with an employment lawyer. Uh, generally speaking, a, a termination package is being offered is because the company has to offer that. They know they have exposure, and they really do want you to sign that release. If they're asking you to sign a release, it's because they know that if you don't sign the release, they could owe you more than they have offered. Typically, that's what's going on. So what I always tell clients is, look, I can't prevent your your employer from you know doing something silly like reducing the severance offer because you didn't sign it by the deadline. But I, I do this hundreds of times a year, and I just don't see that happen. And the reason I don't see that happen is not because all these employers are so nice, but it's because it simply doesn't make sense for an employer uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, when I'm advising employers, I would never advise a company to pull a severance offer because the deadline was missed, because the whole point of them doing that was to avoid a lawsuit. And if they do anything negative to the severance package, they're going to do the opposite. They're going to invite a lawsuit, which is not what they want. Another reason why people accept them is that they were terminated, they think, and assume, rightly so, for cause, right? Yeah, yeah. So if, if a termination is for cause, then your employer is uh, not offering you anything, or if they are offering you something, they're offering it on what we call a without prejudice basis, and it's typically not very much. So the one thing that you have to remember in a case like this is that for an employer to establish just cause, they really have to prove some, some very serious misconduct on your part. Uh, you know, so one of the one of the big ones that um, can be just cause is benefits fraud. We, you know, we talk about that sometimes. If you've engaged in benefits fraud, your employer is going to have just cause. Uh, or if you've done something really, really uh, dishonest, you have been, uh, you know, entering in fraudulent uh, time entries for a sustained period of time. That that can certainly be just cause for dismissal. But you know, unless you've done something really deliberate and deceitful uh, like that then typically the employer's not going to have just cause. You know, if you've been uh, late for work a couple times and you have a reason for that, um, if you have a poor performance, poor fit, or, or, you know, your employer says you have a bad attitude, those are almost never going to be just cause for dismissal. And I'd actually say that a very small percentage of cases uh, that come across my desk actually are cause for dismissal. There is every so often that I have to tell someone who comes to me, look, I, I actually think this is going to warrant uh, that the court is actually going 
going to uphold the termination here. Uh, but that is the exception, not the rule. The rule is, generally speaking, an employer is asserting cause. They're usually being overzealous. Want to get to Sean's call here, but I want to take a uh, short break before we do that. So we got plenty of time to answer him in full. Sean, so stand by. Uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca. That is on the way. We'll continue. Employment Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back indeed. So got a few minutes to go, so we'll get to the uh, phone calls. Always love uh, love talking to you. Sean, thanks for standing by. What's going on? Um, I got let go by my company. And... I told them that I had a drinking drinking problem, and I got in an accident. And I I told them that I was drinking the night before. And they took me to uh, a place to get a breathalyzer. Okay. And I uh, didn't pass the breathalyzer. But I didn't, because I'm... Right, because you have a drinking problem. Now, before this accident happened, Sean, had you you told them that you had um, alcoholism before this this happened? Uh, Yeah. You had, okay. And are you in a union, union, Sean? uh, No. You're not, okay. Uh, And and did they assert just cause and, and not pay you any severance? Uh, yeah, they just gave me uh, a notice saying that you signed a contract for no alcohol or drug use. I see. And there's other people, there's been other people that have been in accidents and they never had to do that. Right. And I also felt like it was, like I said that to them and they just wondered. Right. Well, this is this is going to be about the uh, duty to accommodate, um, and there's there's two issues here, Sean, because alcoholism is recognized as a disability. Um, so if you had alerted them to the fact that you had a drinking problem, um, and um, they uh, they've done this anyway, and they've basically punished you as a result of that, then arguably they've not only wrongfully dismissed you, but uh, committed a human rights uh, breach. Um, so I think the question is going to is going to turn on how uh, how things transpired, uh, and if they can show that you know you were uh, you know you had a relapse and this was really to a, at least to a certain extent out of your control and they should have given you time and and the uh, ability to um, recuperate from this, then this actually could be a situation where you're going to be entitled to a severance package and potentially a situation where the company is exposed for human rights damages. So I would strongly recommend, particularly if they have uh, refused to pay you severance, as, as it sounds like, um, I would strongly recommend that you give us a call so we can go through the situation in detail and talk about what we can do for you here. Right. Well, I've been there for, I was there for 11, almost 11 years. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you said you were a driver. And, and, and how old how old are you, Sean? Actually, I was a mechanic. I was doing a service Oh, you're call. a mechanic. Sorry. 
you're a mechanic and and how old are you um Okay, so, you know, this is a situation where I I would say your severance entitlements could be anywhere between nine months' pay and 12 months' pay. Um, So it's a significant entitlement, right? You can do the math with your your salary. That's – those are the stakes here. Uh, Now, I'm not going to tell you that your case is necessarily a simple one. We'd have to go through all the details and and the events leading up to your termination. Uh, But this is definitely something that you should do something about. Uh, so please give us a call so we can talk about this in detail um, and go through your history with the company and in particularly, uh, particular, uh, the disclosure of this and the accident that took place. Uh, and then we can you know, talk about what we may be able to do for you here. Sean, appreciate the call this morning. Here's that number, one 821 5900 is help at We've got time to get uh, Mohammed's call in here. Hi, Mohammed. Thanks for standing by. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. And my story is that I got terminated on December 2 in the company. And I was working as a shop manager on contract basis as an independent contractor. And on the company premises, I was working as an hourly basis and open contract, no deadline for any contract. So they never pay me any uh, holiday pay or... uh, vacation pay, and uh, and very next week I got luckily another job in my same trade. And now I have a question, is there any entitlement I have with this company? Okay, so there's, there's two things that you need to know here, uh, Mohammed. So uh, firstly, it sounds like if you're really acting as a shop manager, if you're going into work, it's nine to five, you're working only for this company, um, and they're essentially directing the work that you did, um, then um, you were probably misclassified. Um, and as a result, um, you would uh, be entitled to everything under the Employment Standards Act, and you'd be entitled to a severance package. However, when it comes to severance, uh, because you found a job um, a week later um, paying out uh, the same amount, your severance entitlements in this case are probably going to be only your minimum severance entitlements. Again, depending what happens with the new job, but we're probably just talking about the minimum entitlements because uh, you don't have any losses going forward. But your entitlements under the Employment Standards Act could be significant here. Now, how many how many years were you working as an independent contractor? I was working like 32 months. Thir- okay, so okay, so two two years and a bit. Um, so what your entitlements are going to be in this situation um, are basically going to be uh, employment standards entitlements. Again, assuming everything works out with the new job and, and, and things go according to plan and you're able to keep that new job, the only things we're talking about here are minimum severance entitlements, vacation pay entitlements, uh, statutory holiday pay entitlements. So there, there could be a variety of things under the Employment Standards Act that the company owes you. The severance may not be very much because of the new job, but you're still probably going to be owed something here if you've been misclassified. Um, so um, if you want to talk about that, certainly um, you can give us a call. Um, or um, you know, if you just go, want to go after them for the uh, vacation pay, the holiday pay, um, uh, and that sort of thing under the Employment Standards Act, it may actually be one of those situations that, you know, I say they're rare, but they happen where you can actually um, take it up with the Ministry of Labor. Again, if that's the only thing that you're looking after, not severance. Okay, that's good. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
Thanks, Mohammed. Appreciate the call. And uh, just about ready to uh, to wrap up here uh, for the day, John. A lot of phone calls, and, uh, you know, it's good to have everybody call through. Uh, one more reason here to get to this. Just I know it'll take you a minute to answer this one, but people accept bad severance packages. They think they can't afford the legal fees. Totally not true. Yeah, and again, totally understandable uh, because uh, in many situations, legal fees can get very, very expensive. But when it comes to severance packages, the assumption that it's going to cost thousands or tens of thousands of dollars and will put you in a worse situation when you started is actually not typically how it works. You know, for example, at ST Law, uh, I always make it a, a point of making sure that no matter what the case is, if there is a, a case where someone has a real entitlement and it's something we can help, I will make sure the legal fees do not get in the way. Because by definition, most of our clients have just lost their primary source of income. Uh, and we recognize that and we give options to, to account for that. So uh, the last thing, again, the last thing I want is for a case not to be uh, brought forward or for someone not to get their entitlement because they're worried about legal fees. So we can always work around that. And we are done. Appreciate all your phone calls. Fantastic stuff to reach out now. We mentioned it several times. I'll do it one more time. one 821 5900 is the number. Help at employmentlawyer.ca and simply employmentlawyer.ca to catch our television show. And finally, the website you go to first, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. Opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.